For all intents and purposes, people would have thought my life was quite good. Um, I mean, I was, I've always worked. I think probably, you know, the last times it was really difficult I was working as a postman. I worked that job for 12 years. Everything was great, but every single day I was battling. I was battling the fear, the anxiety. So no matter how good I thought I was doing and I was told I was doing, it was never good enough. I, 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 I'm not good enough, this is what I thought. So I tried too hard for 68 years and it eventually just crashed. One morning I was supposed to go to work and I just got up and took a train, really early train in the morning, shot off, took my SIM cards out of my phone and went to Glasgow. Uh, I had no idea what I was going to do, but I was uh, no intention of carrying on. That's Mark Allen, who we're going to hear more from shortly. In Scotland, men are three times more likely to commit suicide than women. And within Scotland, here in the Highlands, we have some of the highest figures for male suicide. According to the statistics available before the pandemic, those figures were on the up. I'm Bruce McGregor. I've lived and worked in the Highlands all my life and through both my professional life as a musician and businessman and through my passion for playing rugby, I've known of far too many cases of people taking their own life. It's a sad fact that just about all of us here in the Highlands knows someone touched by suicide. The aim of this podcast, Speaking of Suicide, is simply to share stories and experiences. It isn't all about suicide. Some of the stories you'll hear are about just many of us struggling with the day-to-day -day stuff of life. The point of the podcast is to get more of us talking. If we don't talk about it honestly and openly, then there's a danger that those statistics will keep on going up with devastating consequences. There's no getting around it. Some of what you're going to hear will be tough, but we hope you'll also be able to see these stories as a celebration of life and the fact that no matter where you're at just now, it's worth holding on and getting help. With that in mind, throughout the podcast, we've got reminders of how you can get in touch with Mikey's line. And at the end of the story, we've got some useful tips and tricks for when you're struggling. Speaking of Suicide has been funded by the Highland-based family firm D&D Paving Limited because the construction industries suffer from particularly high rates of male suicide and they wanted to do something to help. No matter what industry you work in, tell people about this podcast. Like, comment, subscribe, share it. If we manage to help one person step back from taking their own life, then we've succeeded. And please remember, if you're listening to this and it becomes too much, you can always hit the pause button. I'll pass you over to Speaking of Suicide producer, Penny Latton. So have you, have you always been around this area? I've, well, yeah, I'm born and bred here, but uh, six years away, six years where I travelled, America, uh, Jersey, Channel Islands, and Dublin. Um, in this episode, I'm talking to Mark Allen, who lives and works in the Cairngorms, when I caught up with him for a walk and talk. Just remember, while you're listening to this, it wasn't that long ago that Mark couldn't talk about his mental health at all. So it's amazing to see how far he's so, come. The best place I've ever been to is here. I haven't worked. Outstrips every one of them by a mile, and I'm very, very proud of my, my home. Um, and I, you know, I do a lot of outdoor stuff, so this is just a perfect place for me, you know. Um, do a bit of mountain biking, a lot of running. I do wild, wild swimming now in the, in, the, uh, in the locks and things. And it's just got everything, you know. I mean, I really do feel sorry for the people 
that are locked down in cities now, you know, it's, uh, you know, we can just walk out the door and be here, you know, so, uh, yeah, I don't think I'd move anywhere now, I think this is, I'm home now and that's it. Today we're out walking near Loch Morlich, not far from the ski centre. How much does this environment, how much do you use this environment as an antidote to, to dark days, difficult times? Is it, is it part of your toolkit? It's absolutely part of my toolkit. It's one of the biggest things. Um, before, the, well, I'll start, but this year I actually found the Wim Hof method, which is the, the, the wild swimming. That was by chance, really. Um, I was having a particularly bad day that day. Uh, I couldn't get out of the house. I couldn't. I couldn't get out of the flat. Um, you know, I had some time off work because I was really, really struggling. Um, but I was at a particularly low point, and my partner was brilliant. Just said, "Look, come on, I'm taking you for a drive." So we went for a drive up to up where Lagan it was. Um, and there's a little waterfall just off the road. You don't have to walk too far. We parked in there, and we sat there, and there's a big pool at the bottom of the waterfall. And I, it was the middle of summer, so I just thought, I'm going to go for a swim. And I just jump in. But on the way home, I noticed, I thought, I'm feeling so much better. I had, my energy levels had shot up. I just felt so much better. Um, the next day, I told my daughter about this, and so did the photos. My daughter's very much into the same sort of thing as me, and she says, you need to take me, Dad. So me and my daughter went the next day, and again. And that was two of the best days I'd had in months. Um, so I thought, you know, there's got to be a bit more to this than you know, just jumping in the water. So I actually Googled it and then this Wim Hof method came up and I've been doing that ever since. But yeah, being in the outdoors is a huge part of it. I mean, I, before the, the, I would do the Wim Hof method, I'd be out walking, running, mountain biking. It's, uh, it's huge, yeah. So Mark, take me back. When did you, when did you first realise that you had mental health struggles? Don't know the phrasing mm. that you'd want to call it. Um... When I first, well, realised that this, this was a long, long tale because I didn't actually know I had it. I didn't know the mental health was, issues was my problem. I just lived with this thing, this fear. That's, what, that's what I, how I describe it. It was just fear. So this gut-wrenching fear that's there 24-7 and you have it all the time. Now, I've had that since childhood. I had a lot of trauma in my childhood. And I, I learned later that you know, the trauma affects our wiring in our brains. And so they don't develop properly. So into adulthood, I, I, you know, I, another thing that I learned very early was, uh, I think about 14 or 15, if you take a drink, that fear just goes, absolutely goes. So that was a, a bad lesson to learn, but there was nobody there to teach me. Nobody there to say, you actually got mental health conditions back. I didn't know I had mental health conditions. So other oh, thing about taking a drink, it's just something you learn. <clears throat> Every time I'd be really, really stressed, really anxious, <clears throat> have a drink. So that caused me quite a lot of problems um, in my early adulthood uh, and leading up into my 30s and things. Um, but the, the mental health, what we didn't know was the mental health was the biggest thing. But all that was was a symptom of the mental health and I was just self-medicating. Um, you say you felt fear, but how did it manifest itself? I mean, what, fear. what... Yeah, what was the impact on your life? Oh, the impact on my life? Well, this is the funny thing. I actually... I managed to carve out something of my life for myself. I was very, I was a very good football player. Uh, that came through the mental health issues as well because it was one of the coping mechanisms as well as like, maybe having a drink. Another thing that I learned was when I was out playing football as a little kid in my garden by myself, scoring goals in the World Cup final and things, I felt better. It, it took my mental health, it took the fear away, you know. So, but obviously that, I'd learned that as well then, so it was go and play football all the time. So the upshot of that was I became very, very good at football and then I ended up going down to play with Celtic Boys Club 
which is another start getting bullied down there as well. So <laughs> it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. Um, it was only really, I, I think, I'm 53 now, I think you're probably talking this time, I could say this time because I've had probably three, three really, really bad episodes of the mental health. I think this time is the time that I've really learned that mental health is your biggest problem. This is maybe six, seven years ago. And it's mental health you need to get on top of. Nothing else. Um, and that's where I am at the moment, yeah. So, if you don't mind, uh, take me back to, you know, when, maybe when it was, was at its worst or when it, it, it manifested itself into something where you think, you know what, I've really got to deal with this now. Ah, well, it doesn't manifest itself into you thinking you've really got to do something about this. It manifests itself into you thinking that I can't go on anymore. So I've had a couple of spells like that in my life where it was just... I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Uh, it was just too much for me. Um, a couple of attempts, but nothing came with them. Uh, thankfully, still here to tell the tale. Um, there was one, but it was after that. And after that happens, you sort of sit down and you think, you know, I, I looked around me and I looked at the, the people around me. I, I, I've got, you know, my two kids. Um, you know, they don't, they know that I suffer from mental health. Um, but I've not gone into depth with them about it. But just the fact of having them and being so, you know, being so close to them, it's, it was, you know, I've got to, I've got to continue. I've got to do this for them, and that was the main, the main priority for me at that time was doing it for them. Uh, one of the first things I did was try to learn as much as I could about it. <clears throat> so I read every book, every expert, every podcast that you could do, thinking there's going to be a cure for this somewhere. I'm going to do this for my kids. Eventually, you realise that you have to do it for yourself. And if you do it for yourself, all the rest of it falls into place. So do it for yourself first, and then you're doing it for your kids anyway. You're doing it for your partner, you're doing it for your sister, you're doing it for your parents. Um, I think in the initial stages of this, the most important thing is, is connectivity, because you lose all connectivity. You lose, you lose friends, you lose you know, even your family, because you, you distance yourself from them. So, uh, you know, I, I had to try and gain connectivity again, and I was lucky. I was one of the very, very lucky ones um, that, you know, at that point, yeah, I had my parents and my, my sister, and my sister in particular. Um, she, she, she went through everything with me, absolutely everything, things she went through. And she did it. She told me she only did it because she believes in me. <clears throat> and now she tells me she's really proud of the things I'm doing, which makes it better, you know. How, I mean, how did they know? Did, I mean, did they know at the time how much you were struggling? How much were you, were no. you telling other people what was going on? No, I think at that time, all they thought was um, that I had an alcohol problem. May have thought, and I think I'd probably mentioned that, yeah, there was a mental health in there, but I think it was putting the cart before the horse. Um, you know, and I think that's, the, the other problem was what they thought was the main problem. Um, did but, you think it was an alcohol problem? Well, see, this is the thing, that the experts don't help too much. Uh, I, I studied it, as I say, and, I, and there's this thing called dual diagnosis. Now, dual diagnosis, now, most people haven't heard it, my doctors and people haven't heard of it. Dual diagnosis is, is basically mental health and addiction combined. Um, and there is this thing that, you know, which, which comes first, because it can be that the mental health comes in the addiction, or it can be, you know, you get a mental health problem because it can be, in most cases, it's the other way around. It's, it's, it's mental health is the biggest problem. Um, Met a lot of people that are addicted to a lot of things, and I don't think there's one of them I've met that hasn't got mental health problems. You know, so my, my family wouldn't have thought that mental health was the big problem at the time. <clears throat> they do now. So, more, but you know, you said that it 
it was a case of thinking you couldn't go on anymore. Um, couldn't go on from from what? Describe what your life was like. What was like? Yeah. Um, well, I think to all intents and purposes, people would have thought my life was quite good. Um, I mean, I was, I've always worked. I think probably you know, the last times it was really difficult I was working as a postman. I worked in that job for 12 years. Um, and for the first six, eight years of that, no, I never missed a day. I was there early every morning. Um, my boss told me I was one of the best posties he had. Everything was great, but every single day I was battling. I was battling the fear, the anxiety. So no matter how good I thought I was doing and I was told I was doing, it was never good enough. I, 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 I'm not good enough, this is what I thought. And the reason I think I'm not good enough is because of the stuff that happened in childhood. Because all that stuff happened in childhood, that was all my fault. So you go into adulthood thinking you're not good enough and you just try too hard. So I tried too hard for 68 years and it eventually just crashed. I couldn't go, you know, I, uh, eventually just, you know, I started drinking, started, the anxiety got worse um, and... Did you tell anyone at the time what you were feeling? No, I didn't, no. I didn't at that time, no. Um, why not? I mean, looking back now, from where you're at now, why, yeah. what, what do you think stops you, Mark? I don't know. Um... I mean, we talk about this thing, you know, the stigma of it and things. Yeah, even then, you know, I mean, I'd been 30, 40, and I still felt bad saying, I've got, I've got anxiety. This, this, this is what's causing all of this shitstorm. It's, it's anxiety. It's anxiety that's causing it all. Because even the word to me, it doesn't mean, if it's all oh, I've got anxiety. It's like, it doesn't mean very much. There should be a better word for it, you know? Because uh, I just usually say severe anxiety, but it's absolutely horrendous. You know, every single minute of every single day, you're, you're in fear and you're worried about something. And that, most of the time, it's nothing to worry about, you know? And to live with that every single minute of every single day, you know, can't sleep at night, can't eat properly. It, you, you can fight that as long as you want. You can fight it and fight it and fight it and fight it, but you can't do it forever. And eventually, you just you do crash. And yeah, that the biggest thing I should have done is I should have reached out because I had people. You know, I could have gone to my sister and says, "Look, at that time, you know, I can't do this anymore. I can't do my job anymore. I need to take a time out, which was what I was needing to do. Was take a time out um, and mental health, something I need to work on." So you didn't talk to anyone. What did you do instead? Uh, I, I let it go so badly that. Um, I just, I became suicidal with it. Yeah, I couldn't go on. I, I left. Um, one morning I was supposed to go to work and I just got up and took a train, really early train in the morning, shot off, took my SIM cards out of my phone, um, went to Glasgow. Uh, I had no idea what I was going to do, but I was, you know, I wasn't, I had no intention of carrying on. Um, I ended up being found in a bit of a mess in Glasgow, just in tears looking at photographs and things, you know. Um, found by some very nice people. Um, uh, I ended up staying that night at a friend's because uh, police um, you know, got involved, but um, you know, put me to a friend's house and I was at home the next day. And the next day, from there, my real recovery began um, to where I am now. Yeah. Were you able to talk to your family about those suicidal thoughts then? No. Mm. If, if, I, if I'd been able to talk to him about that then, uh, it wouldn't have happened. If, if the family I have, the parents I have, um, the, the sister I have, they're so supportive, they would have sat down and done something. Um, mm. One thing I've always been, I've always been very honest about things. I, I, I might not tell, but I mean, when I am talking about it, I'm honest about them. Uh, and I don't blame others, I, I do take the blame myself. And I, I've always looked for help, except 
at the time, I should have done it most, you know. When you, when you, but when you get to that stage, you've, at that time, you're harboring so much, uh, so much really bad, you know, some, some emotions, really powerful emotions. There's shame, there's guilt, there's, you know, foreboding. You just, you hate yourself, absolutely hate yourself. And you, ha you haven't got it in you, and you just think everybody else is better off without you. You know, and that, that's where it was. Um, oh, yeah, and hindsight, great thing. But that, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast, because I thought if there is somebody who's in that position now and they hear what I'm saying, if it just helps one person to maybe go and reach out, and please do, please, please reach out. It's the biggest thing, connectivity, talking to someone. And if you haven't got a close family or friend member, there's so many places like Mikey's Line and that, you know, you can go to, you know. Shame and guilt about what, do you think? Well, were, were, were you ashamed of the fact that you felt suicidal and that you f mm, felt yeah. so bad. Aye, yeah, yeah. Felt ashamed of that, felt ashamed of drinking, felt ashamed that I'd missed my work, I felt ashamed of all those things that were happening then. But what I didn't realise was that I was still harbouring so much shame from my childhood. I was feeling the shame from my childhood never went away, you know, because all that stuff that happened, when you're a small child like that and all that stuff's happening to you, you blame yourself, it's your fault. And I went through life doing that, you know, blaming myself. Um, and that, sh that shame was always there. That shame was, you know, I couldn't talk to anybody about the things that happened to me when I was growing up. And it was all suppressed, you know. So you went to Glasgow. Happily, you were found, and, and, um, but in a, in a bad way. Mm -hmm. how, how did you step back from that? You said that was the starting point of yeah. you getting yourself further down the line to where you are now. Yeah. But... but what, what were those steps and how difficult was that? Uh, oh, it was really difficult. And um, first thing I did was I, um, well, I finished up with the post office. I took a, a pay off real health because at that time I had a bad back and things. Um, and I, I had to start from scratch. I knew a certain was, I knew that that was the best decision for me. I loved the job, loved the people I worked with. I had a great boss, so supportive. But I had to make that break. It was the best thing for me at the time. Um, and from there, it was, I, I, I knew that I had to, to make a new life for myself. I knew, I, had every, I knew that everything had to change, and I knew this because I had looked at so many books and things, you know. I knew I had to change, but I still didn't really get it. Um, what I always wanted to do, so I said, right, OK, you're approaching 50 years old, why don't you try and get a job doing something that you love doing? So I mean, I've always liked working with young people. I've done a bit of voluntary work with them and things, uh, you know, coaching them and things. So I wanted to work with young people. And through a roundabout way, I ended up getting a job with a charity project Scotland, and I've worked with them ever since. So that was the beginning, um, just doing something healthy in terms of work, because it takes up so much time, you know? And, the, and to me, I, I was brought up in a family that you have to work. It doesn't matter what you're doing, as long as you're working, you know? And to take that step that I was going to go out of work, because at first I was going to go to college, you know? That kind of fell through. And I wasn't, you know, and I didn't tell my parents that. It was a big thing, you know? But they were very, they were great, they were very supportive, you know? Um, and started working with the young people. Mostly, most of those young people are kind of in a similar boat that I was in. Most of them have got mental health problems, some of them have got addictions, uh, and yeah, some of them are suicidal, yeah. Um, but that was a big thing, I think, making the change in career. Then uh, a big part of it was surrounding yourself by the right people. That was really important. And doing the right things. Uh, so I set up some charity groups. Uh, I did a Keep Fit class. Um, we raised thousands for charity over the years, locally, just the local thing. And that, that was my way of giving back. And that made me feel good about myself again, because it's about making myself feel good because of this thing from before, I, where I feel I'm a bad person, bad person because all that stuff was my fault. So I've got to make, you know, I've got to be a good person. 
charts. I've got to keep, you know. So, I mean, that, and that's good. And that's, that's what I still do. You know, I do charity things and <laughs> raise money and I try to be a good person and I surround myself with the right people. And I'm lucky I've got the right support of people as well. How did you learn to talk about this? Um, rehab was a, a good starting point. AA as well, because AA... I don't go to AA anymore, but I used to go to AA and I found it, you know, it was brilliant. It was really was great. Because it, it gives you that connectivity. You know, I, I, so I read quite a lot that there's a chap called Gabber Matty. He's um, one of the world's um, renowned experts on mental health and addictions. Really, really good. And he, what he says, you know, the opposite of uh, addiction. What is the opposite of addiction? You'd think it'd be sobriety. He says the opposite of addiction is connectivity. And as soon as I read that, I thought, that, you know, he's, he's, and every time I read his stuff, I think that, that's right, he's bang on. He seems to, to get it, you know, uh, and it is, it's connectivity because you lose that connectivity, you know, when you're, when you're in the depths of despair, you know, and mental health, whatever else it is, it's, you, you, you lock yourself away, you, you don't want to talk to people. It's the time that you most need to talk to people, but the time that you don't, you lock yourself away and you don't, you lose connectivity with yourself, your friends, the whole outside world. So getting that connectivity back was probably, ah, maybe even the single most important thing, you know. And so, I mean, people tell you locally now, you know, I am so open about it, you know. I've set up a Facebook page locally. I did the 30-day challenge, the water dip challenge for Mikey's line, and I, and I blogged that every day. And I was just laying myself bare, you know, this is how I felt today, this is how I felt before. And so many people were coming out and saying, I feel the same way, I feel the same way, that we ended up making a, a group. We've got a group of over 100 people locally. Um, and we all support each other, you know. But that's honesty. That was a big thing. Was the honesty thing, you know. So just getting honest with myself, getting honest with people around me, and just saying, look, you know. And it's yeah, I've got mental health problems, but it doesn't define me, you know. You know, I, I'm I'm still a good person, you know. If someone was listening to this who found themselves in similar shoes to to you when you were in Glasgow and struggling, what what would you say to them, Mark? But that's just, just exactly it. Reach out, reach out to somebody, anybody, and you, you've no idea how many, how much. I thought when I first became really honest with this and started telling people about it, that you know there'd be a lot. That, maybe some people would be supportive and some wouldn't, but it's incredible the support that's there. I, I've had no negative comments from anybody, you know. And that time in Glasgow, the people that looked after me and seemed like that, they don't know me, they didn't know me, it could be anybody, and they were so nice and so supportive, you know, and that's just people that didn't even know me, and then from there, my friend, you know, I hadn't seen her in a couple of years, she looked after me, she kept me for the night, she was so supportive, and then up home, to so you'd be surprised, you think that there's nobody out there, there's lots, just, you, you have to reach out, you've got to reach out, and make that, and it's, I know, if there's anybody listening to this now, that they're, if they're in that state, it is the hardest time to do it, because the time that you're at your lowest is the time that you just don't want to talk to people. But it's just that catch-22, you have to. And it's just one person, just one person, reach out. And places like Mikey's Line are just a lifesaver, you know. I mean, just pick up the phone to them if you've got nobody close to you. If you have got people close to you, you know, it might be somebody at work, could be somebody in the family, could be a friend, but try and reach out. Because it's the single most important thing to do to start any recovery, is to reach out. We'll continue with Mark in just a moment, but don't forget, it's okay not to be okay. And if you need someone to talk to, you can text Mikey's line on 07786 207755 or contact them via Messenger, web chat or Twitter. Sunday to Thursday, 6pm till 10pm and Friday to Saturday, 
7pm to 7am. Now you were saying you use sort of cold water therapy these uh-huh. days. Um, you go and wild swim and that's been for you really effective. Yeah. Um, which sounds to me like, you know, you see this as an ongoing piece of work. Um, it, it, it wasn't kind of, the lid wasn't just put on it and it put away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How do you kind of keep in touch with where you're at these days to raise a flag much earlier? Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, do you monitor yeah. your mental health? And, and, and how do you kind of, what are the warning signs with you, Mark? Absolutely. Well, I wake up every morning, every morning at five o'clock. I wake up every morning with anxiety. I mean, that's just it. Um, anxiety uh, about what? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. No, nothing. And if there is something to be anxious about, it's ten times worse. <laughs> you know? It's, it's, it's just what I've woke up with and what I've been like most of my life. What, just worrying? Yeah, we I, wake up worried? Things can be going really... Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And things can be going really well. And I worry with that, you know? But, uh, <laughs> what, because you worry they're going to stop going uh, well? Right, yeah. <laughs> but, I know, this is the thing. You search your mind and often you can't find anything. You know, but the good... As I say, this... Being open and honest now, and my partner, Kerry, she's so supportive... But now, you know, if I'm having a bad day and I'm feeling anxious, now I've got somebody that I just say, Terry, I'm feeling terrible and I feel anxious. And with the Wim Hof method, you've got a couple of things to do. It's not just cold water therapy. There's also uh, breathing and meditation. So, uh, you know, and I've started getting into routines now, better routines, healthier routines. For instance, when I finish work, usually just after work, that's a time that I'll be very anxious because I've done the full day and, you know, there's quite a lot built up. And what I do now is I just go and do breathing for 20 minutes, half an hour. Um, in the morning, first thing in the morning, yeah, it's part of my routine. I'll go to a lock every single morning. Um, usually lock va, and I'll dip in there, whatever there's ice or whatever, and I'll do my breathing down there, whatever, and then come home. And it starts my day off well. But it's just what you said earlier there about that there was, yeah, there's been a change in me lately in, in the last few years, and that there is now a, an acceptance because before. All that research and all the books I read and all the podcasts, it was to find the cure. There's got to be something to... You know, I will find it. Something to stop it. And even the Wim Hof method isn't going to stop it. And I understand that now. So it's not about getting rid of my anxiety. It's about learning to live with my anxiety and to try and keep it a lid on it as much as I can. Um, and, yeah, having these coping mechanisms for if it does start piling up a little bit, uh, I, I'm very good now at checking myself thinking, like, boy, who would I be in the chart 1 to 10? Um, I can't remember, it's a fizz chart, it's called. Um, I'm doing some therapy, it's a fizz chart. And, it, and you just gauge your, your anxiety levels in the morning, and if you're feeling a little bit bad, check again later on and see where it's at. You know, and you think it's gone up, then you do something about it, you know? Funny, isn't it? I'm interested that you, you said back in the day um, you, you didn't admit that you were feeling suicidal. You didn't admit, admit how difficult things have become. I wonder why sometimes it's so difficult to talk to the people we're closest to, friends and family. I mean, did you find it was particularly difficult to, to talk to them? Mm. Um, I thought maybe that was just me, just the type of personality I had, but then when you look... Now, how many people don't open up? I think it's a disease. I think the actual disease itself does that to you. For whatever reason, as I mentioned earlier there, the one good thing you're supposed to do is the one thing you really don't want to do at that time. It just, you just, there's something draws you right inside yourself. And 
maybe maybe we're afraid of what they're going to think of us because they matter so much to us. Uh, I don't know. Well, and, and, no. uh, yeah, I think the shame thing. And I, when I look at it now, you know, the person I should reach out to at that point um, would have been my sister, and she, I should have gone to her and said. And, you would not have a better, more supportive person who would have been there for me. It's not like, oh God, Bertrand, you know, I've not sitting nobody's really to talk to. I should have and could have. I, I really can't explain to you why I didn't, you know? Maybe if we're not feeling good about ourselves, we worry we're kind of letting them down. But, no, that's a good point, yeah. That, yeah, there's that. There's, I don't know. There's, there's a feeling of letting them down. Yeah, and, I, and well, that's something that I've always felt. I've always felt I've let them down. Um, Do you still feel that? Yeah. Really? Yeah, and I mean, if they were here now, they'd probably tell you how proud they are of me and all the things I do in the six years. Of, you know, and that's interesting. This, but so you, even you can say that. You know, you said if they were here now, they'd tell me how proud they were of me. Yeah, yeah. Aye, I know. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? Well, but it we, is. you can... But there's still all that stuff from the back and it all, it's always going to be there. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's trying, to, trying to create a different mindset for yourself. Um, <laughs> strangely enough, I'm working on doing mindset at the moment with the young people I'm working with, you know, and it's great because you know, we talk about a fixed mindset and a, a, a positive mindset. And when we're talking to these things, I can actually say it to them, like, you know, that was me a few years ago. <laughs> you know, now I'm actually OK, I'm, I'm quite good with that. Now I believe in myself, but I didn't before, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's changing the mindset. Uh, and that's not so easy because you've got a lifetime of learned behaviour behind you, you know. But I think the last six years have been good. Um, and it gets better. It does get better. Are you proud of where you got to? At this moment in time, I am proud of myself, yeah. 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 It's taken a long time to admit that, but, I'm, yeah, I'm proud of myself now, yeah. What are you proud of? Um, I'm proud. I'm, I'm just proud of the person I am. I, I'm there for other people. I do a lot for other people. Um, and yeah, I think getting on top of that, that stuff, to be able to do that, I know how hard that was. Uh, I'm proud of the fact that I've done that. Well, no, I'm doing that. It's an ongoing thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's even, you know, that's probably, as we're going, that's probably one of the harder things I've said today. Because I have to think about that. You know, I'm proud of that. <laughs> I quite easily say, um, you know, I'm, I'm Mark, I've got mental health problems, but to say I'm proud of myself is a little bit different. <laughs> but, yeah. but you did it. Aye, yeah. Aye. I probably wouldn't have done it two years ago. Penny was talking to Mark Allen. A reminder of Mikey's line, if you or someone you know needs help or advice, you can text 07786... 207755 or contact them via Messenger, web chat or Twitter. It's available Sunday to Thursday 6pm till 10pm and Friday and Saturday 7pm to 7am. Here's Shona McPherson from Mikey's Line with a few thoughts for you to mull over. What a generous man. Mark, like Simon in a Another episode of the Speaking of Suicide podcast had suicidal thoughts and he moved from having those thoughts towards taking action on those suicidal thoughts. Mark's recovery began when he was found and when he began to access support. Mark implores any of us who are struggling with our well-being and with suicidal thoughts to get help as soon as possible. 
shame and loathing can make it very hard for us to believe that we deserve that help when we get caught up in our emotional mind. So the longer we leave it, the harder it is to get help. And Mikey's line exists to support you if you're feeling low or even if you're feeling suicidal. Like Mark, we encourage you to seek that support at the earliest stage possible before things escalate for you. How does Mikey's line actually work? Well, you can text us on 07786207755 or you can contact us through Facebook Messenger, through web chat and Twitter and all these are linked on our website www.mikeysline.co.uk When you send that message you'll receive an automated message asking for some minimal information that's your initials, your date of birth, your gender and your postcode and we do need this information so that we can provide our duty of care for um, to you if you're an immediate risk. Once you've given that information, a staff or volunteer will reply immediately and they'll ask how you are this evening. Then it's up to you to say as much or as little as you want and to exchange messages for as long as short as you want. You will be in control and will go at your pace and you can end the conversation at any point you wish. We're online every evening and at weekends the service is open all night. So please, if you're struggling, get in touch with us. Speaking of Suicide is an adventurous audio production made possible thanks to the support of D&D Paving Limited in partnership with Mikey's Line. Next time on Speaking of Suicide. I would lie awake at night and think about how can I get out of this situation? And it became very rational to think about killing myself, which seems strange at the time saying that, but it seemed that I was in pain, but I didn't really... It wasn't even about I didn't know what to do about it, because I did, because I was telling other people what to do about it. But I thought it was a weakness in me, and I could override it. So I didn't do anything about it, and that just built and built and built. It's preventable. The whole process of suicide is preventable. Once you understand that, then you know there's some help somewhere for you. 